What is that, Jenna? What is that? Money? It's all over the darned house. In cabinets, in drawers, under chairs, in closets. Money hidden all over my house. Sorry. After everything I've done for you, you go and hide money from me? You're the only thing I ever loved, Jenna. You're the only person that ever belonged to me. And you having a secret from me tears me up. From Waitress, 2007. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee Esses. We are continuing our perusal of some of the darker aspects of human psychology. And as a warning, this is going to have some major triggers. We are talking about domestic abuse. Specifically, today we're mostly talking about husband, wife, or spousal abuse because we have next episode when we're talking about childhood traumas, and there is definitely a lot of overlap in both locations, but the majority of today will be about the spousal abuse. So the psychological definition of this is a violation of personal boundaries, often on a cumulative or ongoing basis. There are six basic types according to reach beyond domestic violence. The first, of course, is physical. Second is sexual. You can also have verbal and emotional abuse. The fourth is mental and psychological abuse. The fifth is financial and economic. And the sixth is cultural and identity abuse. There are so many examples of a domestic abuse situation within storytelling. Almost every action in Twilight between Edward and Jacob at Bella can be classified as domestic abuse. This is one of the reasons I actually stopped liking Twilight. If you've seen Little House on the Prairie, Laura Ingalls' rival, her parents, are in a pretty domestic abusive relationship where the female is far more abusive to the male. Mr. and Mrs. Olsen are the characters. And then there's the interesting Joker and Harley Quinn. And I know a lot of people really like to prop this one up as like a cute couple thing. And it's really not. There's a lot of especially verbal and mental abuse going on in that in their relationship. Unfortunately, when it comes to abuse, the word is often misused. Simply having an argument, having a difference of opinion is not an example of abuse. It's how that difference is handled that makes the designation between abuse and a simple argument. And I will say that setting boundaries of any kind does not count as abuse. I see this one a lot through my line of work with parents and children. And parents being afraid that they're abusing their child if they lay down the rules. And there is a very big difference between a harmful abuse and a disciplinary spanking. There's also a term I see thrown around on social media quite a bit called love bombing, where you express a whole bunch of affection towards someone, you find out what makes them happy, and you become the main or only source for that happiness. Love bombing can be a recipe for abuse, but being in love is not. Just because you're in that honeymoon period and they can do no wrong in your eyes, isn't a red flag for the relationship. Much like the difference of opinions, it's how it's carried out and the reason it's carried out. Now, there are a lot of ways to write this particular type of relationship. 
one of the main things I see, because I think it's one of the most obvious and blatant versions of domestic abuse, is the physical abuse we talked about. But please don't let it be limited to that. Physical abuse tends to be one of the later stages in a relationship situation. You never get into a relationship and they immediately start beating on you and you just stick around. There are other types of abuse that are established before that physical abuse starts. So the most common thing that abusers will do is isolation. They will find a way to isolate their victim from everyone else. They will try to make them quit their job or only have a part-time job and they take control of all the finances so that that victim is dependent on them for everything. And then they will start doing the more extreme forms of abuse because they have that control. So when writing these types of encounters, please don't forget the types of tools that they use in order to perpetuate this abuse. When we were discussing Swatted a couple months back, one of the fun things that I kind of hope you include is the use of technology in abuse. Especially modern technology. There are so many things out there available that can be used to easily track, to gaslight, to control. Apple AirTags, those terrify me because they are so small and easy to just slip into somebody's purse or tape into the underside of their car. And suddenly, you know everywhere that they're going. You know every single thing that they're doing. So this is a very good control technique to use a smart home against a victim. A recurring theme throughout this month that also very much applies here is the abuser tries to make themselves look like the good guy. So when we go back to that love bombing technique of expressing affection, one of the things that they're going to do besides finding the one thing that makes that person happy is they will make sure that their mood matches their victims to start and then they will adjust their mood and hope the victim slides theirs with it. If both of them are really interested in model trains and then one of them starts losing enthusiasm, then the other will start to mirror that because the victim trusts the perpetrator. Another very strong tool that perpetrators use is the you're overreacting. They will constantly diminish and belittle the emotions and feelings of the victim and making them feel that their emotions are not valid, that they're being hysterical for no reason. This is one of those top parts of that slide before they get fully into domestic abuse that can be a good indicator that they're headed that direction. Because if they can make the victim feel like they're overreacting over small things, suddenly when the big things happen, that trigger is already there for making them believe their emotions aren't valid. This turns into the victim having a very weird image of themselves. There's this loss of identity of the things that made them happy because they're now associated with their abuser. There's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because they feel like they should be better in the relationship and they're the failure in the relationship. Because the source of things, the perpetrator has convinced them that the perpetrator is perfect and they're not doing anything wrong. It's just the victim overreacting and the victim that's causing the problems and it's the victim who's making them do this. You also see more outward signs like trouble sleeping you have a lot more anxiety and depression. You have more emotional stress. 
and even intrusive memories that keep them from enjoying life anymore. Something that you'll see on both sides of this coin, both victim and perpetrator, they will both feel like the victim is deserving of these things. It's my job as the husband to make sure that my wife stays in line. And it's my job as a wife to obey my husband. So both of them will start to think this is how it's supposed to be. Other things that a perpetrator will do include consistently accusing the victim of cheating. A lot of the time this comes because the perpetrator is themselves cheating and they are projecting that on their victim and becoming outrageously jealous over the smallest things. You're not even allowed to talk to your friends because that's taking away from my time with you. This is also an isolation technique. Well, if you think I'm cheating on you with my guy friend over here, then I'll stop hanging out with him. I'll minimize the time I'm with him. I'll make sure that my significant other is with me when I'm hanging out with my friend here. Part of that isolation is creating a scarcity of some kind. Whether it's the perpetrator makes all the money so the victim's reliant on them for that, or isolating them from everybody else so that their only source of love and affection is from the perpetrator, who gives it only when they want to, usually as a manipulative tactic. One aspect of this domestic abuse that I don't think is used a whole lot within fiction, but is very key in a lot of that, is what is called triangulating. You see this a lot more with familial type environments, the mother-in-law type character going, hey, your father-in-law also agrees with me. I can tell you that because he's standing right next to me while we're on the phone. So two of us are saying that you're wrong. It's surprising how often, especially in the more manipulative, less physically abusive cases, where the perpetrator is seen by others as charming, as charismatic. I mean, there's a reason that the victim was drawn to them in the first place. However, there are usually still signs. There are signs of the abuser, those moments where things just don't seem right. And there's also, of course, signs with the abused. This can present when looking at the victim as something weird, like she's wearing a turtleneck in the middle of summer. There's nothing innately wrong with that, but these types of things can be a lot of clues that the majority of people will overlook. A lot of the outsiders, especially if they're not close because the perpetrator has isolated the victim, but casual acquaintances like a coworker will go, okay, well, that's her choice. I'm not going to stick my nose in where it doesn't belong. The last thing that I want to mention with this, when it comes to abuse, the most likely a person is going to be killed or seriously harmed within a domestic relationship is when they are trying to leave because the abuser realizes that they're losing that control and they lose control over themselves. I also want to quickly add, if you are a victim of domestic abuse, any kind of domestic abuse, seek help. I know that that's not really what we're going for here with a writing situation, but this is such a dangerous thing. If you get help, it is a lot easier to get out. If you are writing a domestic relationship with any aspect of abuse, whether that's physical or otherwise, make sure you do it in a very careful way. Get sensitivity readers, get other opinions, because this is a difficult topic. I definitely suggest that you read as much of this as possible so you can kind of understand what it's like, especially if this is the main element in your story is falling in love with an abuser or escaping an abuser. 
experience a lot of these kind of stories so you know what you feel worked well. So you can honor those moments where, oh, I see what they're setting up with this scene now. And then you can go right selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing.